You know, as we begin to read the scripture today, we learn about the track record of human leadership, and it gets really interesting. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Word of God as we go through it for the 32nd time. Very exciting. We learn about human history. We're going to study that in just a moment. Corey is here with Ryan. Corey? I'm going to be taking a look at one of the kings that our scriptures cover today, King Ahaz. Ryan? Well, as promised, today I'm continuing my study on 2 Kings 2, where Elisha heals the waters of Jericho. All right, very good. Look forward to that in about 20 minutes. Janice, what would you do? Uh, I think I'm going to call it press in today. All right, very good. So get your Bible guide out. This is important. If you don't know how, if you don't have one, we can tell you how to get one. Just stay there. And also get your Bible, which is the most important book you will ever read, the best-selling book in the world. And let's open it up and see what God is saying to us right now. Second Kings 13, verses 10 through 20. In the thirty-seventh year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned sixteen years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, but walked in them. Now the rest of the acts of Joash, all that he did, and his might with which he fought against Amaziah king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Joash rested with his fathers. Then Jeroboam sat on his throne, and Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, Take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it but now you will strike Syria only three times. Then Elisha died, and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 10 through 20. 
2 Kings 13, 14, 15, and 16. These are our chapters which we read today. And it is something else. Let me tell you, it's exciting. I want to encourage you to get your Bible guide and turn to this passage because it's very important from the track of human records and human leadership. We can assume that it's hard to listen to the Lord when leading a country or actually just leading a large group of people. Even for those of us that don't lead countries, following God with our whole hearts can be difficult and is. In today's world, there are many different forms of government. However, in ancient Israel's kings led countries. And these kings were evaluated by the authors of the Bible based on whether they obeyed the covenant of God or whether they ignored it or fought against it. Judah and Israel both struggled to obey God. The nation of Israel had turned their backs on God with their founding king, Jeroboam. And yet God still called prophets within Israel. And at this time in history, Elisha was now older and he was preparing to enter heaven. Now, this is where our story begins that we are going to study today. So get your Bible out. It's the most important book of all. And as we begin to hear what God is saying in April, we're listening carefully to this. And, uh, and as we do that, you can read along with us by calling us or writing to us and getting a Bible guide yourself. Or you can actually go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. That's BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And click on the Bible guide. It'll take you to a page of donations. And I want to say thank you so much for being faithful during this time. We really appreciate it. And uh, it'll take you to a page where you can download the PDF files exactly how they're printed. It's great. You're seconds within, within studying with us. So it's great. Today, the Lord is in control. How many times have you heard people say, well, God's in control. What does that mean exactly? God's in control. Because if you're like me, I'd like to know what that means. I mean, what does that mean? We're reading from 2 Kings 13, 10 to 20, and let's pray. Father, we pray today there's a lot going on in the world, and we have to come to you and say, Lord, we need your help. We need to live our lives full of faith and, and not fear. So when we say you're in control, what does that mean? Help us to understand today how you have written your scripture here so that we can hear it, that we can let it change us in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all said together, amen and amen. Now, as we go to the chapter, this gets interesting. Let's go to the book. Second Kings chapter 13, verse 10. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned 16 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, but he walked in them. Now the rest of the acts of Joash, all that he did, and his might with which he fought against Amaziah, the king of Judah, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? Now, this is interesting because the first point is Jehoash, the 15th king of Israel, was evil 
and worked against God. To be evil, you work against God. Some of our leaders are not aware that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you know what? We should pray for them. I know there's a lot of people saying to me, pray for them. I'd like to hit him in the face. I'd like to get rid of him. I'd like to kill him. Well, hold on. The Bible says, pray for those, Romans 13, in authority over you. Pray for those and help them. Ask God to touch them because the only way out of anything, the political problems of this world are not political. The political problems are spiritual. And beloved, we can only handle things if we look to the Lord who is superior and he has won this spiritual battle. And beloved, Ephesians chapter six tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, things in this world, but we wrestle against spiritual principalities, things that are not in this world, the culture of sin, the work of sin. Very important to remember that. Now we go back to 13, verse 13. So Joash rested with his fathers. Then Jehorab, Jeroboam rather, sat on his throne. And Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. And Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Now that's interesting. We don't have time to deal with that. But anyway, then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elijah said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. And then the king said to the king of Israel, or he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elijah put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. And then Elijah said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrows of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Now, this is interesting because Elijah gave Joash orders from God. Even while on his deathbed, beloved. Even on his deathbed. You see, God's global will stretches beyond our lives. This is hard for some people to see. God's global will, that is his will beyond our lives, stretches beyond us. And you know, there's a lot of things we pray today that we'll never see in our lives, but we pray for them because in the next generation or the generation after, we'll see them. So let's keep that in mind. It's not always about us. It's about our involvement in the kingdom of God. Very important. We don't have much time, so we'll read on. 13, 18 says, Then he said, Take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Then Elijah died, and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. Which brings us to point number three. Jehoash followed Elisha's instructions half-heartedly. Beloved, we must serve God with all of our heart until the Lord comes, who will judge all the leaders of this world. Beloved, God is going to judge 
hard. And this, you can read about this in Revelation chapter 19. We'll get to it at the end of the year. But as we learn the scriptures here, this becomes important because we have to understand that God will judge the world and he will speak his judgment. The word of God is his judgment. And beloved, we must never do things half-heartedly for the Lord. We go and do it all the way. In fact, if anything, God should try to hold us back instead of try to push us forward. So let's pray that way and let's think that way and let's consider how we're doing the things of the Lord. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And I know that today's assigned reading is 2 Kings 13 to 16, but as I promised on Friday's program, I'm gonna be continuing my study on 2 Kings chapter two. And it's in this chapter that Elisha is called upon to heal the bad waters of Jericho, which was causing barrenness of some kind. Now, interestingly, Elisha requests a new jar filled with salt that he dumps into the water at its source. And through the power of God, the water is revitalized. Now, if you recall, on Friday's program, we talked a lot about the physical problems that Jericho was having. But today, I want to focus on the larger spiritual aspect, because what happened that day is, I believe, a picture of the whole world. Let's study. Shortly after Elijah had been taken up to heaven, his understudy, Elisha, was quickly called upon by the citizens of Jericho to come heal their waters. Because although by all outward appearances, the city was a pleasant place to live, on the inside there was barrenness because the water was bad. Possibly a result of the divine curse placed upon Jericho many years earlier in the conquest of Joshua. Whatever the case, to revitalize the water, Elisha orders a new jar full of salt be brought to him, which he then pours in at the water's source. Though this restoration was clearly supernatural, there still were physical acts and objects used in its accomplishment. And, as is so often the case in Scripture, this performance seems to paint a vivid picture of an even greater spiritual reality. For example, the city of Jericho could symbolize the whole world, which is also under God's curse of death. This is a curse only God can lift by His plan of salvation, as revealed in the Word of God. Mankind and Satan offer substitutes, of course, such as human philosophies, religious systems, and materialistic solutions, which may sometimes be pleasant, but are all ultimately, and very literally, dead ends. We also find great significance in the bad water. In the Bible, water is used symbolically for the Word of God and for salvation and eternal life, which God offers humankind through faith in His Son. In John 4, 10-15, Jesus speaks metaphorically of his salvation as living water, and as a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And two times in Jeremiah, God is metaphorically identified as the spring of living water. And in both passages, Israel is rebuked for having forsaken the Lord for other cisterns that could in no way satisfy their thirst. Thus, the bad water represents life without God, which is no life at all. The jar, or vessel, also plays an important role. 
and seems to represent believers, since they're portrayed in Scripture as merely earthen vessels containing the treasure of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, Elisha requested a new jar, which might symbolize the believer as a regenerated new person and new creation of God. But the most significant symbol of all is the salt. In the Old Testament, no sacrifice was to be made without salt. It was the salt that made the offering or sacrifice acceptable, because the salt spoke of God's covenant to save us through the person and work of Jesus Christ poured out for us. Thus, the salt represents the very essence of Christ. Just as Jericho was delivered from its lifeless and doomed state by turning to the living Lord, so too can the world. But unfortunately, much of the world doesn't know the one true God, which is why it is critical for the believers, as vessels of light, to be full of the salt of God's Spirit and pour out the good news of Jesus Christ. So as you can hopefully see, this image of Elisha throwing the salt into the water from a new vessel seems to be symbolic of what our mission as believers is. We as Christians are the new vessels which contain the salt of the Spirit, the salt of the good news of Jesus Christ. And as per our Lord's instructions, we are to spread that gospel to the ends of the earth. Like Elisha, we need to dump that salt into the world's water supply, because when we do that, the dead will come to life. But we have to realize that it isn't us giving the life, we're just the vessel. It's the salt, Jesus Christ, within us which brings the life. Is it any coincidence that Jesus calls his followers the salt of the earth? I yeah, don't think so. It's, it's true, and, and we need to remember that uh, the rising to life is the miracle that God created. And uh, death is easy. Everybody dies at some point or another. But life is the miracle of God. So when we are saved through the grace of Jesus Christ, we are given the gift of eternal life. That's really good, Ryan. Thank you. All right. Well, our reading today covered a lot of the kings of Israel and Judah, but I want to focus in on King Ahaz because this week with you and I on the program, we're going to be taking a look really at the political social temperature of what's going on in this, you know, last half of the book of Second Kings, because it's really important to understand for the, the overall narrative of this time period of the kings. So, Let's take a look at this reign of King Ahaz uh, as a first step. Ahaz, king of Judah, is not given a very good moral rating in the Bible. He is said to have broken away from his father and grandfathers in their efforts to follow God, and in his desperation followed after false gods. Ahaz became king after the death of his father when he was 20 years old and reigned until his death 16 years later. Ahaz had inherited a kingdom in trouble. The northern nations of Israel and Syria had joined in alliance against Judah. It appears they were trying to build a coalition strong enough to resist the growing Assyrian Empire. Judah would provide more military strength and more land for their use. King Ahaz responded by dedicating himself to pagan gods of warfare. He sacrificed some of his children and became a regular of the unsanctioned high places in Judah. He is even said to have created an industry out of pagan worship, manufacturing molded images of Baal. This was to no avail, however. The Israel-Syria alliance besieged Jerusalem, and though they did not defeat the city, there were mass amounts of casualties, including one of Ahaz's sons, possibly the crowned prince, and two of the highest officials of Jerusalem. This attack severely weakened Jerusalem and Judah, and her enemies responded. Edom attacked from the south, and the Philistines from the east. 
Isaiah 7 records how God reached out to Ahaz at this time, but without success. Ahaz instead sent messengers and treasure from the Jerusalem temple to the king of Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser III. Tiglath-Pileser responded by destroying Syria's capital city of Damascus and killing her king. Ahaz then, in his established fashion, visited the king with more tribute and had the Jerusalem temple remodeled to resemble pagan shrines. At the end of his reign, Ahaz still had his kingship, but Judah was severely weakened and was paying a staggering amount of tribute to Assyria. This tribute and Ahaz's name has been found recorded in Assyria's surviving records. Two signet seal impressions have also been identified that mention Ahaz, one belonging to a royal official and one from his very own seal. So what we see in the reign of King Ahaz is him really trying to deal with, trying to juggle the rise of the Neo-Assyrian Empire that is rapidly becoming a massive world power and a threat not only to Israel, but to Judah as well. And so we see Ahaz, you know, trying to cope with this. How am I going to deal with this new world power? And of course, his answer is, well, I'll make friends with this new world power and I will forsake the ways of God and just kind of really lean into the way that the world does things religiously and politically. And of course, it doesn't go well for Ahaz. You know, the, the Assyrians still come after him regardless. And, you know, at some point during his reign, King Hezekiah begins uh, a co-reign with Ahaz. Uh, and, and so, and during you know their co-reign, we they would have seen northern Israel fall to the Assyrian Empire, and so this really sets up then Ahaz's son Hezekiah to now he has to answer this question: How am I going to deal with this new world order? How does God fit into it? How does Judah fit into it? And that's going to lead us into the next couple of programs where we're going to be looking at how he answers those questions. It's a fascinating study. Hezekiah is one of my favorite kings. He's one of the good ones. And uh, it's going to be very interesting. So we encourage you to stay with us. Janice? Wasn't sure quite what to call this uh, segment of mine. So I thought, well, press on. But, uh, you know, first of all, I want to begin by saying we're talking about Jehoash. His name is also spelled Joash. Same king, just some different spellings. So your uh, Bible may say Jehoash. And others may say Joash, and some of them combine them. So don't be confused. We're talking about the same king, Jehoash and Joash, same king. All right, so we see this really interesting scene with um, Elisha on his deathbed with the illness that the Bible tells us he's going to succumb to. He's, he's dying. And Joash comes to Elisha, and Elisha implements these, he has these designated arrows that he's talking about as symbols of defeat for Aram. And so he orders Joash, he says, open the window. And so, you know, we've read this portion today, Rod has taught on it. So uh, Joash opens the window, he shoots the arrow. And then um, Elisha gives him instructions with these arrows. And it says, then he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and he stopped. And then we see this unusual shift and all of a sudden, and the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only 
three times. And that's uh, 2 Kings 13, verses 18 and 19. And it seems as though Elisha was angry with Joash because it was like he had no zeal to follow through on what Elisha was instructing him to do. It was like he sort of did it half-heartedly, and and Elisha was disappointed. He wanted him to strike that ground many times. And it made me stop and think that we shouldn't give up on our faith in God, our, our hunger for his word, spending time with God in prayer and praise, because we need to stick with God. We need to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And even when things do come in. Circumstances are hard and difficult. That's not the time to pull away, but that's the time to come into the Lord Jesus Christ, to come into God and ask him for his strength and to not lose heart. And sometimes we do lose heart, but that's when it's so important for us to spend that time in God's word, to get our hearts aligned with his, to spend time with the Lord God in prayer so that he can help us to get through these times, to not lose our zeal for him because God does and will bring the victory. That's why too, it's important for you to gather with Christian friends, to to be involved in a fellowship so that that we can be a part and pray for one another and, and be that fellowship, be the children of God, to be that people that we need to be to encourage one another. So my message today is to press on. Don't be like Joash and just kind of half-heartedly hit it. You're going to have those days, but just press into God and he will help you. He will give you the strength. And as you're obedient to follow him, you will see that faithfulness in God. You won't have to look very far back to see God's faithfulness in your life. Yeah, I think that's important. Uh, Very good. God is faithful. Uh, And we have to keep that, we have to press in. We have to make sure that we are concerned with living the way that he has called us to live. How has he called us to live? He's called us to follow him. So we follow Jesus Christ. We follow God. This is a fascinating study on the Kings. We're going to do some more on the next program. So make sure you stay there. We'll see you then. It's wonderful every day, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 till 4.30 on Facebook, on YouTube, and of course on Bible Discovery TV. We're live in our prayer meeting, and we pray for you. If you'll drop by and see us sometime, if you can. If you can't, you'll have to watch the prayer meeting later when it's recorded. God moves in special ways, and we're going to pray today. Lord, I pray for those who are leading our countries today. May they find you in the name of Jesus Christ.